Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is December the 11th, 2013, and it is a Wednesday. And this is going to be episode 1264 of the Survival Podcast. I'm calling today, winter is here and it's only going to get colder. And we're going to look at some of the things that uh, I've kind of picked up on in this recent ice storm that we had and uh, talk about the potential that colder winters might become the norm in spite of what uh, climate change alarmists with global warming have been saying. Um, there are some real cooling trends I'll talk about here in a minute that, that might affect us for quite a while. If you remember the 70s and early 80s and how cold it was back then, we may be returning to... Uh, that time, and uh, it has me rethinking some of my somewhat lax attitude toward cold weather preparation, given that I live in North Texas, where it generally isn't that bad, and you get this kind of weather that we just had maybe once every three or four years, but you get it, you get this kind of weather generally in like January to early February, you don't get, you know, four inches of ice covering the roads in early December, uh, that's not typical And it looks like even if we don't have this cooling trend stick around for years, and, and we might, this is going to be a very cold winter. And it's put me back in touch with how cold winters can be even this far in the south. Before I get to today's topic, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. Sponsor of the day, number one today, is Western Botanicals. Western Botanicals is my go-to source for everything, and I mean everything herbal. As I had mentioned earlier, I, I took a pretty nasty spill on some ice Saturday this last weekend, and uh, my neck was screwed for a couple days. And my go-to solution uh, was some turmeric, uh, anti-inflammatory stuff from uh, Western Botanicals, and their uh, their deep heat ointment. And they were both very, very effective, and it avoided the use of pharmaceuticals that I believe are a lot more harmful to my body at a time when I didn't really require them. Check them out today, westernbotanicals.com. And remember... Um, Western Botanicals provides their premium discount membership, which sells for 50 bucks a year for you, uh, for free. If you're a member of the member support brigade, that saves you 25% on everything you order from them. So if you are an MSB member, make sure you call in and set up that membership before you order, uh, cause it can save you quite a bit of money. Uh, if you rely on herbals as much as I do, remember everything at Western Botanicals is either wild crafted or organically grown. And uh, if you need help, give them a call. They'll help you out. They're re real people that really care about what you need and what, you, uh, what you're trying to do for your own health. Next up today, herbs of a different kind. Chef Keith Snow with Harvest Eating. Chef Keith has some of the uh, best herbal uh, seasonings I've ever used. They are one of my go-to things. I won't say too much about that right now because I'm going to talk a little bit about some uh, featured discount members of the MSB in just a second. He's going to be one of them. But, hey, I'll tell you what. If you want to learn how to make cooking a life skill, uh, see some great videos, hear an awesome podcast, get yourself over to HarvestEating.com and check out what Chef Keith is up to. On that note, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you get exclusive content available only to members and help support the show at a whopping 18.3 cents an episode. 
Right now, it's uh, an even better deal, though, because we have it on sale. The discount code is DEC2013, basically the abbreviation for December, followed by 2013, so December 2013. And uh, you can get your first year for $30. Bucks. If your account is currently expired, you can renew for $30. Bucks. If you want to renew by mail, even if you have an active account, you can do that. You cannot renew with PayPal online uh, with that discount code because I can't make the system do it. It's too complicated. It doesn't work. It would basically set you up with two subscriptions and make you get double billed, and that's a big mess that I have to clean up. So, uh, But this is a great deal. And what I've been doing this week, and I'll probably do every day this week, is highlight some of the discounts on our blog that are available. I want to tell you about a couple of them I highlighted today. This is just some cool stuff. This is stuff that's not really hardcore survival gear or long-term food storage stuff, just stuff that I thought you might want to know about, especially with Christmas coming. So the first one's Mai Tai Coffee. Mai Tai Coffee is amazing. It's the best coffee I've ever had in my life. I really love their Full City Roast, uh, and their French Vanilla was very good as well. I got you guys a discount on that for 10% if you're MSB members. It's great to give as a gift, too, for Christmas. They have some great gift boxes and all. Now, here's the thing, though. Recently, Matt over there, who's the guy that first got in touch with me from my thigh, um, he sent me some stuff that we gave to guests at the recent uh, up, uh, recent Earthworks event here. And we kind of we hoarded one for ourselves because it sounded good. It was called Spiced Butter Rum. So Dorothy and I really kind of killed that little packet of coffee off pretty fast, and we agreed it was probably the most delicious coffee, flavored coffee, we had ever consumed. Um, it's so rich tasting and has such a unique flavor profile that I think even many people that generally use sugar in coffee, coffee wouldn't need to sweeten it. Dorothy usually uses a couple drops of stevia. I don't think she even sweetened that, and she liked it. I don't sweeten coffee at all, and it was awesome. So I decided I was going to go over there and order some of this stuff. I was going to order five pounds of it, and it wasn't on the site. And I'm like, dude, where is it? So I email Matt. He says, dude, just order French vanilla or something like that. Put a note in. I'll know it's from you. I fill all the orders. I'll swap it out. So I did that, but I'm like, dude, get that on your site. Let me tell people about it. So I've gotten that added to their site. So if you're an MSB member, you can save 10% on it. If you're not going to join the MSB, you're looking for an awesome coffee to try, give this stuff a shot. I don't know how long they'll keep it around, but it's. I hope they keep it because it is freaking awesome. I ordered five pounds. I may go ahead and order another five pounds and put it into uh, dry canning uh, to keep some around for times when they get tough and maybe you can't get stuff and you just want to feel good like on a cold winter day like we're going to talk about today. Next up, TSP Gear. Um, this is our shop, but uh, it's run by Kelly John Doe. We have some cool stuff in there right now. Our French press coffee mugs would go great with the Mai Tai stuff. Uh, we have these awesome new dry storage containers. I think that you could give these as gifts to people that would look at the little Anne on it and the Survival Podcast stuff and not even care, and they just look great and they function beautifully. Um, and the Kydex sheets for Mora knives, that's a great little idea to give somebody a gift. Pick up a Mora 2 Classic for 13 bucks. refinish the handle yourself, get them one of these Kydex sheets, 10% off everything at TSP Gear, one of the benefits. Last but not least, Harvest Eating. You always hear me going on about steak seasoning, low and slow barbecue and grilled chicken. They have all kinds of great stuff over at Harvest Eating, though. Top quality stuff. Chef Keith has become one of my go-to guys when it comes to advice on cooking and products for my cooking. If you've eaten in my home, you know my pantry is full of Harvest Eating stuff. 
and I use it to cook for guests all the time because it's so damn good. Last night, Nick Bertner came over, and I made him my chili garlic wings, and I included Chef Keith's grilled chicken seasoning. 15% off all of those things. Now, the Harvest Eating seasonings are really beautiful the way they're packaged in the metal. They're unique. They're something that friends and family have probably never seen or heard of before because they're not on supermarket shelves and things like that. Another great, relatively low-cost kind of you know Christmas gift for the people you're going to get something for but you're not going to go all out for, uh, or stocking stuffers if you want to put it that way. Check it out today. Uh, TSP Gear Shop, Harvest Eating, and Mai Thai Coffee. All of those are discounts. I know it went a little long today, but... I also feel like, you know, people like Harvest Eating and Mike High. I once in a while need to kind of point out that they have these great discounts for you guys in the MSB because that's why they do it so that they can get business. Um, again, 30 bucks first year. There's a link in, in the show notes and a link on the website so that you can get the discount code uh, DEC2013 if you want to know more about it. All right. Let's get into the main topic of today's show. Um, you know, I, I can't really talk about what I want to talk about without at least saying a little bit about global warming and why I think that it's kind of bullshit, honestly. Um, right now, there are current studies out that say that we could be looking at a century of cooling. I have links in today's show notes uh, on all of this, citing this. Uh, some German scientists are looking at this and saying, you know, we could be into really, really cold weather by 2035. That we could even be back to some temperatures consistent with what we thought of in the, toward the tail end of the little ice age in the 1800s. Um, we hear all this crap about the Arctic ice sheet. The, the, by 2013, there was going to be no ice left in the Arctic. Do you remember this? This wasn't long ago. If we don't do something now, there'll be no ice at all. Well, right now, there is an unbroken sheet of ice half the size of Europe. Uh, stretching from the Canadian islands to Russia's northern shores in the Arctic. Um, and that's interesting, again, because they said it wouldn't be there. The Antarctic ice sheet, they say, was you know proof of this warming, and it's basically growing everywhere. Scientists just found the coldest recorded temperature on Earth on Antarctica, and the one place that the ice sheet does seem to be melting, they found this little ridge of of mountains in the sea underneath it, and it turns out they're active volcanoes. Now, look, I'm not on the show today to debunk global warming. I'm not even going to tell you that man's not screwing up the earth and the climate. I actually want to lead off today uh, a little bit unrelated with, you know, kind of clearing the air on when people think I don't care about the earth because I don't believe that CO2 is our big problem. I think that we've done a lot to destroy uh, our ecosystems, and that, that that probably does affect the climate in a variety of ways. Um, the Earth has warmed, and as it did warm, the ocean wasn't affected by CO2. What it did was release CO2, which created carbonic acid, which altered the pH of the ocean. Now, whether we've done that or not in any way that makes the climate warm, that does have a drastic effect on the global climate, specifically the oceanic climates. And, and that's a problem, again, whether we have anything to do with it or not. As for what we've done, we have deforested the planet like locusts. And when you remove that much forest, you have an effect on the climate, if not globally, at least in the surrounding areas and climates. We have created deserts in our wake everywhere we have gone. Throughout Australia, we have taken land that used to be fertile and turned it into salted earth that may never recover. 
um, in the, the Sahel region, sub-Saharan Africa, man's um, agricultural activities have expanded the Sahara Desert from sub-Sahara to true Sahara Desert. And the sub-Saharan regions themselves have been crippled. Um, we have done a lot of bad to our ecosystems. With coal mining, specifically in the northeastern United States, we have leached massive amounts of mercury and sulfur into our groundwater creeks. And I can show you streams and rivers up there that when you go and look at them in August, in the middle of summer, they stink of sulfur. And the rocks are coated with an orange, gooey slime. And that orange, gooey slime is sulfur that has oxidized, which basically it's the equivalent of sulfur rust. And when something oxidizes, it takes up oxygen. It's deoxygenated these creeks. And I can show you things like that everywhere. I can show you banks of coal slush in, in where I grew up in, in my high school years in Pennsylvania that are still there that have been there since before the Depression where nothing grows. So with coal, we have done horrible things. I can show you places in the world, if I want to look it up, with oil where we've left just disgusting, disgusting damage in our wakes. What's being done with the tar sands in Canada is the removal of boreal forests that are ancient, and they're being replaced with you know, little stick twigs of, of monocrop pine. Probably the largest damage to our ecosystems in the, on the planet today has been done by agriculture. Our number one export by tonnage from this country is topsoil, through wind and, and, and water erosion into our lakes and our streams and our oceans. All of these things are a cause for great environmental concern, and to me, all of them outweigh the concern about how much CO2 is in the freaking atmosphere. Um, I have my reasons for what I believe. I won't belabor them. But what I kind of want to open you up to is that it's not just global warming that we have to be concerned with. It is the climate changing regardless of why. Because we become complacent as beings, and we think of this planet as being very, very stable. And the reality is the climate on Earth is not stable. It's not. And it never has been, and it's never going to be. And it will always radically shift in, when we look at geologically speaking, relatively short periods of time, And often what will take a long time to play out will have one major turning point where it will be fully realized almost overnight. And almost overnight could be in a year or a decade or sometimes even a century. That's almost overnight for something that's you know billions of years old like our planet. And man, it used to be a lot colder. I, I, I know some of you guys that are finding the show that are in your 20s and early 30s may not really remember the 70s and 80s like those of us in our, our 40s and older do. But the, the 1970s were cold. When, when people tell you that, hey, in the 70s they were talking about a new ice age and there were people on the news projecting these advanced, you know, the ice sheet basically coming down from the north and a new ice age, they're not lying. They're not making that up just to debunk global warming. All that stuff happened. In 1978, when this whole concept of human-induced climate change and the green movement was launched by a guy in the UN named Maurice Strong. It was under the auspices of the or the planet was cooling and we had to do something. It really was. And there was at least anecdotal evidence for it, just like it warmed in the 90s. It cooled its ass off in the 70s and 80s. 
By the way, that guy is a oil billionaire who is still pushing this thing. He's far more responsible for this global warming movement because when it started to warm, they just shifted gears. And he's currently living in China teaching the Chinese to trade carbon credits. Just saying. There might be a financial reason for, for some of this thing. But could we see a return to temperatures like the 70s or even colder? And my assessment is absolutely we could. And let us say that all of these scientific reports are bullshit on both sides. It's getting colder, it's getting warmer, the climate. Let's just, let's just put it all aside and say they're all either true or they're all bullshit, and let's say it doesn't matter. And the reason I say it doesn't matter is because, number one, you ain't going to do nothing about it. Okay, Your belief that if you use a CFL, you're going to change the temperature of the planet is ridiculous. I'm sorry. Um, the government's going to do whatever the government's going to do, and they'll figure out how to tax this shit, not because they need to, because there's money from it. And what you do ain't going to matter from a standpoint of the temperature of the planet. And I really believe that. And it's going to do what it's going to do. And the main reason I believe that we could be looking at winters like we had in 1975 and 1985 again is because if that ain't that long ago and it happened before, and what has happened before can happen again. And as I looked out at what just went on in Dallas, Texas, um, it's pretty apparent that you can have a lot colder weather than you're accustomed to. And it's made me reevaluate my winter preparedness. We get lackadaisical in the South. But let me tell you what I just saw. I just saw a couple nights ago, actually probably two nights, was it two nights ago? One or two nights ago. I was sitting on my couch drinking a cup of hot chocolate, enjoying the warmth of my home with my dog at my feet watching the news and the dusk and watching all these people that had to drive to work try to get home and what's called cobblestone ice had built up on different parts of the highway. Now, this is days after the, the ice storm came Thursday night. All right. This is Monday. This is a long time for frozen shit to be on the ground in Dallas Fort Worth. Usually, no matter what we get, it's gone in two or three days maximum. I the last time I saw this was when my, my Steelers unfortunately lost to the Packers in the Super Bowl at Cowboy Stadium a few years ago. And that was the last, and that was in February when you would expect something like this. this beginning of December, generally we're walking around in t-shirts right now. You know, maybe it's cold in the morning, but it ain't cold in the daytime. The snow and ice will probably melt today, most of it, because we're going to be in the 40s with the sun outs. Supposedly, though, the sun ain't out right now. It's kind of cloudy, but we'll see. We've had a lot of melt yesterday. Uh, the roads got safe to drive on mostly Uh, on Tuesday, you could get out and about pretty well. Until then, it was, it was really dicey in some areas. Uh, one, one of our road was an ice rink. It was about four inches thick of compacted ice. Not patches. The road was ice up and down as far as you could see. Well, as I'm sitting on my uh, couch on Monday watching the news and all these poor guys stuck in rush hour traffic try to get home. This guy gets stuck on some cobblestone ice. Like, he gets up under his car where he can't move, and he's stuck in, like, the second lane of a four-lane highway on I-20. And I'm watching, and they keep going back to it. They finally get a wrecker out to this guy to try to pull him off of this stuff. They can't move him because his car is freaking frozen to the road now. This is December in Dallas? Are you kidding me? And what we also saw, which I have never seen them resort to before here in this state, is that the highway crews and the civil engineering crews and the road crews and things like that around here don't have snowplows. 
They don't have equipment to deal with this. They have some sanding trucks. Those trucks do have some plow blades on them, but they're not really, they'll knock a little bit off here and there. They're not like you guys have up north. They pretty much throw sand down and they put down treatment, pre-treatment on the overpasses to keep them from freezing. What they do have for road construction and civil engineering work are things like scrapers. Uh, and, and, and skitters and things like that. They took that equipment out to clean up the ice. But they waited till Monday to do it. Now it came down Thursday. The, it, it, most of the places they were doing this would have been better off at that point if they had done nothing. They actually made the problem worse in some ways. And I know a lot of you guys that have lived in the north your whole lives and you drive in snow and a little bit of sleet and all the time and you look down here at the south and you say, well, those guys get a couple inches and they clean out the grocery stores. And when you think that way, and I don't mean this to insult anybody, but you are doing it through extreme ignorance about reality. Absolute extreme ignorance about the reality of what we get for winter weather in the south. We almost never get snow. We almost never just get snow. You know when you're watching the snow come down up north and the wind blows and it just blows off the road like a dust? That never is the kind of snow we get if we get snow. If we get true snow, we generally get a lot for us. I'm talking 6 inches to 10 inches. I've seen 11 And it's that very wet, heavy snow, and it usually hits us uh, where the trees still have leaves on it, and it takes out power and things like that, but at least it's just snow. But then what usually happens is that wet snow starts to melt, and then we get a very big cold front behind it, and it glazes the whole thing over on the roads, on the highways, on buildings, and it just makes a bad problem worse. That's the best case scenario, snow. What we almost always end up getting, at least a part of it, is ice. Not sleet, ice. Sleet is little pellets, it builds up, it accumulates, etc. It's a pain in the ass. Now we get freezing rain. The rain comes down. Because we're in the southern tier, as the, as the snow, it starts to fall as snow, it falls through a warm thermal layer in between. It melts it. And as it comes down, it starts to go through a little colder, gra- colder ground layer, and it's the ice-cold ground, and whenever it hits, it sticks to and freezes immediately to clear ice. And then it accumulates as clear ice. And what was on our roads that those of you in the north were mocking with no idea what you're talking about, seriously, was about two to four inches, depending on the area, of solid ice. And... We're, if we see colder temperatures, the South is going to get more and more of that. It does more damage. It causes more risk. It, it takes out more power. Um, boat slips on Lake Louisville that have been there for 50 years are gone because the ice accumulated at such a weight that they collapsed onto the boats. Millions and millions of dollars worth of damage just from collapsing roofs. And we, again, I feel that this winter will be the coldest winter that anybody around can remember for a very long time. You'll have to think back into the 80s to compare to this winter. It's going to be that kind of winter. And I do think it could be coming again and again. And it has me reassessing my cold weather preps. Um, I, I want to kind of talk about what I've learned or I already knew, but how it gets reinforced. The other thing that we do not have down here, and I've already talked about this, is we do not have a government with the equipment to deal with this problem 
because it's so infrequent, at least it has been for so many years, that in a day and order where everybody's broke and budgets are constrained, you can't justify the expense of having a bunch of trucks around. It makes more sense to have people actually bring in equipment from outside and pay them as contractors when they you know when they haven't had severe weather and we have which happens a lot this time it wasn't it wasn't possible why because they were dealing with their own shit because this ice storm went across the whole country kind of like it did in 2011 hmm so a repeat of that uh but much earlier in the year this time and what you see is when government can't deal with a problem And people expect that they can, the problem is worse. We just had somebody write in about that on a feedback show about Philadelphia. Um, Philadelphia was supposed to get a dusting. They got four inches. Philadelphia is pretty well shut down. By the time they got the snow equipment out there, it was too late. And that's, that's something you have to understand about dealing with snow and ice. Unless the equipment is there, staged and ready to go as it's coming down, especially when you get ice, It gets compacted into the road, and it gets worse and worse and worse. And you get to a point where the equipment can't really deal with it until you get some warmer weather, and it starts to thaw a little bit. But we should take a bigger lesson from this. There's going to be many things we're going to have to deal with as we deal with shifts in our future, economically, primarily, that the government used to fix for you and cannot. And you have to be able to do it for yourself. Um, down here, it's it's not generally the case that people do things like have snow tires put on their car in, in, in November to get ready for winter. Um, so we don't have people that are prepared to drive in it even when it is just snow. And you almost never run into anybody unless they're an off-roader that has them for other reasons that has tire chains. I have tire chains on order for all of my vehicles now. Uh, we did go out when we shouldn't have. And I know to stay, stay, they say to stay put, but we drove about five miles an hour and we basically did it to see how bad it really was, to test what was going on. And we did it at a time we knew we'd be pretty much, uh, alone on the roads. And that was the case. And, and, and we got out and, and about. And, uh, other than my fall, which I'll talk about in a bit, it, it was uneventful other than it was very interesting and a little hairy and dicey in some spots. Um, but I'm, I'm getting tire chains. And I know that what everybody says is, well, when it's like that, you just don't go out. It's not that simple. What if, while that road was completely iced over, my wife had a heart attack and needed to go to the hospital or she was going to die? Call an ambulance? Really? Do you think in, in Dallas, Texas, that an ambulance that's already dealing with wrecks everywhere is going to be able to get to my road? Or do you think they might do what they've done to a lot of people in these types of situations? We can meet you at XYZ. We can't get all the way to where you're at. You're going to have to come to us. That's happened. One guy died because his family refused. Not because they couldn't get to them. You know, they could have thrown the guy on a sled and drugged this guy. It was in Chicago or something like that. I reported on it like last year. But they refused because they felt indignant. They were like, you need to do this. We're taxpayers, which they probably weren't, right? They were probably tax takers, based on what I read in the article. But they refused to take this guy to the ambulance because they didn't think they should have to, and he died. So vehicle mobility, I think, could save your life or the life of someone you love. Now, in the instance that we had uh, this weekend... 
I was able to drive. I would have been able to get her there. I would have had to go a lot slower, and it's hard to drive five miles an hour for five miles while someone you love is clutching their chest. So having a little bit more mobility capability might have been a good idea, including calling the ambulance and saying, we can meet you at, if you guys can get to us, and, and stay on the phone with 911 as you're going. But even though I could move that vehicle through that type of situation, you think my wife can? You think she has the experience to deal with that type of driving? I'll tell you what the answer is, is no. And I'd ask this of you. Does everybody in your family have that experience? So just from a safety standpoint, when this weather was forecasted coming in, we should have had at least one vehicle with tire chains on it waiting and ready in case it was necessary. We did not. We're fixing that because we figured out that was a bad thing. You should also keep extra warm clothing in your vehicle, And really, you should stay home unless you have no choice. And there's a whole show I did long ago, like episode 700, you can look up if you want to, on a vehicle kit for cold weather and all. So I'm not going to go deeply into that. I'm saying that was our biggest hole. No way to make sure that vehicle is mobile. And, uh, you know, make sure your vehicles are, are topped off with fuel, especially when bad weather's coming. It's not a good time to be out there uh, in, you know, fueling up out of your fuel cans when you might need it uh, for other purposes. Next, physical safety. Uh, preventing injury is really important. So I fell, and I fell flat on my back. Uh, I immediately went into a tuck position like my martial arts training ha ha has you know, me reinforced to do without even thinking about it. But I fell so quickly and so hard that even though I took the brunt of the blow uh, to my upper back, which is what you should do, and to my arms, uh, the velocity caused my head to severely impact the sheet of ice. I mean, crack. I mean, I felt like... Well, the last time I've had my bell rung like that, I was hit with a you know, helmet-to-helmet blow in football. That kind of a blow. I hit the ground, and I just kind of laid there for a second and went, Oh, I'm okay. I'm, I'm gonna, this is going to hurt, but I'm all right. And I just kind of laid there and take it. And I realized that like, Joe and his mom and, and Dorothy all see me go down, and they're probably running over thinking I'm unconscious. So I, I roll over just so they don't. You know, and, and I, I hear Joe's feet as he's coming. I'm like, don't run up to me. Cause I can just see him hitting the ice and falling on top of me and making it worse. But there's two things that would have made that never happen. Now, me being a little more careful, that, that might have made it not, but two things. There's a giant sand pile sitting out behind our, our shed and I should have sanded the area. Sand is cheap. We get it for 20 or $15 a yard. If you live in a place where you have a lot of ice, you have to deal with it yourself, having a good sand pile sitting around that you can sand areas with can save you from a lot of injury. Uh, and I went and I sanded the area after this happened instead of, a, you know, instead of before I got hurt. And I sanded all the, the walkways and areas because this is the other side of what we just had. We didn't just have ice on like the, the, the walkways in the driveway. My whole field was like an ice sheet. Like an ice sheet. Like when you walked on top of it, you stayed up four inches off the ground and you didn't go through it at all. It's ice. Since you guys heard that, several of you guys did get in touch with me about different options. Um, and there was quite a few different suggestions. And the one I looked at that seemed to be the best reviewed and best thought of are a product called Stabilizers. S-T-A-B-I-L-I-C-E-R-S. And I've ordered a set for myself and Dorothy, and we'll try them out. We might try out a few other different varieties just to find what we think is best. But I think having you know, some type of ice cleats um, also saves you a lot because when you're out there spreading the sand and all, you, you have to walk on the ice. Uh, 
So that's something that, you know, we had stuff like that uh, in our kits when we lived in the north. Hell, I had it just because I like to go ice fishing when I lived up there. And it was a routine thing that you'd have to deal with this. And it's one of those things that, like, yeah, they could be useful down here, but, I, I, I you know, you don't think to you, – there's so many other things you do from a preparedness standpoint that goes to the back burner. A lot of things go to the back burner, end up continuously knocked back to the back burner over time. So we took care of that right away. I also think that you, you need to think before you act. It's easy when someone falls and it's a kid or an old person to say, oh, well, you know, old people shouldn't go out on the ice. Well, maybe you shouldn't either. Um, I'm in pretty good shape. I'm in my early 40s. Um, if it happened to me, it could happen to anybody else. We have a family, a family that is friends with us uh, that are a, a younger boy in his teens, I think like mid-teens, so you know, not a little kid, uh, shattered his elbow uh, on this ice. So, and we've talked to quite a few people that have had spills on it. It's, it's really a time to think before you act when, when you're dealing with ice. So just a whole shift and I didn't really get hurt, but I realized I could have. And you start thinking, well, what if this was during a shit hit the fan for real? And instead of coming down on my head, I did come down on my elbow and shattered my elbow bow like this young man did. And now I'm the guy that's supposed to be taking care of everything and I'm out of commission. That's reason to increase the training and capability of everybody else in the house. Um, but it's also reason to think a little bit more before you act, to preserve your own safety so that you can do what you're supposed to do. Um, I'm thinking more about alternative heat for the home. We have a great wood stove. That's something I think everybody should consider is keeping a wood stove in your home unless you're down in the tropics or at least the subtropics. Um, but we probably need to put more wood up that's in a totally dry area. So we're not out trying to pull wood out from under ice or something like that. We don't have a, a typical woodshed here. We don't use that much wood for heating here or cooking. We just we just don't. It's the south. Um, you know, if it was up north, I'd have a few cords underneath the dry woodshed. But, you know, do we need to add that? It seems like we do. It really does. We had that kind of situation set up for ourselves in Arkansas. It was colder there. It was expected that it would be. We had a lot less reliable electricity. You know, we relied on our generator more. We relied on our fireplace more. Um, but here you get complacent. I think in the South you need to start thinking. I mean, I'll put it to you this way. I think if you live in Texas, you need to start preparing for winter like you live in Tennessee. And if you live in Tennessee, you need to start preparing for it like you're in Chicago or Boston. I think that's the type of cold weather that be could become a matter of course uh, over time. I know the alarmists will say, well, global cooling is caused by global warming or some such thing. I Look, I don't care what the cause is at this point. I care that it looks like we're having a lot colder weather than we have been accustomed to. And I, it also has me thinking that if that motivation gets you to prepare for it and we go back to business as usual next year and we only get one or two episodes like this a year like we're accustomed to in the South, guess what? That might occur when you need these things. So I'm talking about plugging the holes. Um, propane heaters are great. I have a Mr. Heater uh, thing that uses two little one-pound propane bottles and an adapter for it that lets it run on a twenty, uh, you know, a, a five-gallon propane tank like for a gas grill. Um, those things are awesome. They will heat up a ten by ten room like that. I mean, just almost immediately. And you can warm up a room and then you know warm up another room and move one around. Uh, they have a CO2 sensor on them that if CO2 gets too high, 
uh, carbon dioxide, I'm sorry, not CO2. Um, but if it gets too high, uh, they shut themselves off. They have a knockover sensor. If they get knocked over, they shut themselves off. They're inherently safe. They work effectively, and they're not expensive. Um, you can even use candles to heat. There's a thing I, we haven't done it yet, but we saw this video of this guy over in uh, England. It heats his little room he works in on his computer with four tea lights and two uh, flower pots, a small one, and they sit in a tray, and the small one goes over top, and he puts a little piece of aluminum from the bottom of a tea light to block the hole in the first flower pot, and then you put the second flower pot over it. Steve Harris said it's all bullshit, that the candles release the exact same amount of BTUs, and it just makes you think you're warm and you're not really warm. I, I don't agree so much. I think if you stretch out heat, you have a greater impact. We're going to test it. We're going to take two rooms, and we're going to measure their temperatures, and we're going to put the candle thing in one and not in the other, and we're going to measure the change, if any, in the, the ambient room air temperature over, let's say, two hours. And then we'll swap which room we do it in because I can't do it completely controlled. I can't keep the temperature the same and everything the same. So we'll just do it in two different rooms with their heater vents closed and just see if there's anything there. But even if it just makes you warm from radiant heat, it's a good thing to know how to do. I'll put a link in the, in the show notes today. Uh, to a video that shows you how to do this, and we'll, we'll try in the future. And I'd love to hear from anybody that has. I think probably, though, the best backup heating source is a kerosene heater. They have a bad wrap. They're considered dangerous. Modern ones are not. They have a cage around them so you don't burn yourself on them. They have a shut-off uh, safety feature if they're knocked over. And don't knock your big heater over it. Don't put your ass on it, and you won't have to even need those even though they're there. Um, they are something that should be used with a little bit of ventilation, uh, a little bit crack in the window here or there, um, but they are pretty damn safe. We used them our whole lives up north when we lived in Pennsylvania, and um, you know, the thing about them is they heat a very large area very efficiently with not much kerosene. Something you have to think about, though, if you live in the south like I do, finding a place that sells kerosene in bulk may not be the easiest thing in the world. It's not like when I lived in Pennsylvania and every other gas station had a kerosene pump. So you got to think about where you're going to get your fuel from. But we're probably going to add a couple of them here. We can use them as redundancy in the house, but they're also good for heating the shop buildings up when we're doing a class or something like that. Um, so those are my big things. Propane heaters, wood stoves, fireplaces, kerosene, and candles uh, to think about for some additional heating. Protect your plumbing. Um, you know, wrapping your fixtures is a great idea, but it only does so much. One of the things that really makes a lot of sense, if you depend on water... Uh, outside of the home. A lot of times, just wrapping your fixtures on the outside and things like that, as long as you don't lose power to the house, you don't have any problem. Even with a well, you wrap your well up or put a light bulb in your well house or something like that, nothing freezes up. Water to the house is fine. But those spigots that run and take water to different parts of your property, those things you can wrap them all you want. A lot of times they're going to freeze up. So if you can put heat tape on them and run power out to them, that will keep it from freezing up. That's that's one of the things that you can look at for that, uh, especially if you have livestock that you depend on getting water to. Um, you need to get power out there some way, if nothing else, a, a stock tank heater in a stock tank to keep some water on hand for them. Um, we pretty much just figured whenever we had this problem, we could just take a few, we don't have that much livestock, we take a few buckets of water out a couple times a day to them, and, and they would be fine, and that's what we're doing. But you quickly realize what a pain in the ass that is. We've got to get some power out there, but the power can fail. We've got to come up with some other redundancies. And if this is going to happen often, I don't want to have to do it all the time. 
especially walking across ice to get to the animals. And the animals are pissed and cold, so we need to, we need to think about that a little bit more. And heat tape is one way that we can keep the fixtures from freezing up. Um, definitely think about water for your livestock. If you're in the south and you generally don't deal with things freezing over, I'm telling you right now, things are freezing over for us. And I'm glad to see that today we're supposed to still, it still says we're supposed to get in the 40s. Clothing. I think in the south we have a tendency to think more about staying cool than warm and good boots. And most people in the south that are homesteaders and like that, we have good work boots. But they may not be good cold weather boots. And if your feet are cold, you're cold. So good warm Uh, warm, warm boots is a, is a great thing. Layers work. I don't care what Stephen Harris and his buddy Jim Phillips say. Layers work. And I'm not trying to survive in the middle of the Arctic with some foam suit that nobody makes that I have to build myself out of foam. Uh, I'm trying to stay warm in Dallas, Texas when it's freaking 17 degrees outside. And using a layered approach, thermal underwear work very well. The places that you get cold that chill your whole body, Rapidly, you think of your core, but your core does a pretty good job of self-preservation and staying warm. Your legs, your feet, and your hands. Those areas, when they get cold, you're cold. So good warm gloves as well. That's the other thing I notice here in the South. Everybody has great, high-quality work gloves, but they're not necessarily gloves that really do a good job keeping your hands warm. Um, we're not in that boat. You know, we've had good boots and gloves and things like that. But, you know, I realized we use them so infrequently, they're like buried in the back of the closet. You don't even think about getting them out in November. You know, that's, that kind of weather comes in January. Well, not so this year. So not just having the equipment, but getting it out if it's in summer storage a little earlier than you're used to doing might be a good idea. And keep your head warm. Good hats, uh, things like that, just basic stuff. Gardening. Um, we should all have a greenhouse already, even a little one. This is just a more reason to have one to extend your season uh, and to be able to protect your plants when you're getting them ready. You think, well, I'll put them in the ground and you get a late frost. before You, but you haven't put them in the ground yet. Having that greenhouse to protect them and heat to your greenhouse is not a bad idea either, uh, at least at certain times of the year. I think that this has pushed me to do an insulated greenhouse. Attached to the side of one of my shop buildings, like I had planned, to get that going a little bit sooner and be able to provide heat in there uh, in a variety of ways, not just using a climate battery like we had talked about. Um, it's so important that we retain our ability to be self-sufficient with food uh, that I think that's absolutely critical. And it moves me more toward, you know, permaculture approach and more perennials. If you have a diverse array of perennial hardy uh, bushes, trees, vines, and shrubs, and you get a longer winter, they just come out and emerge a little later in the year. Um, you know, there's people that have been talking about, you know, the way global warming's going, we might be doing citrus everywhere in Dallas soon. I don't think so. I don't think so. And that's, uh, so really from a standpoint of your gardening, think about, you know, start using cloches and row covers. These are things that people usually in the Northwest are doing. You know, to, so they can produce tomatoes, and we might need to look more and more at doing things like that. And it makes sense if we can do those things and get our stuff, even if we don't have these problems come, which I think we're seeing them right now, getting those plants in the ground earlier and being able to get them through those frosts, which, again, they're coming later and later in the year. They did this year. 
I got burned twice, and then I got hit with hail, and I kind of gave up on annuals in some ways for the year. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's something we need to think about. Um, and then understand it's not all bad. It's not, and I'm not being facetious. It's, you know, frankly, it's easier to heat with wood than to cool with solar or something like that. So if we start having more severe winters, we may have more moderate springs and falls. And if that's the case, at least for us in the south, this could actually not be a terrible thing. Those of you in the north, it makes cut a short growing season even shorter, though. Uh, cold can be fun if you're prepared. You know, if you have ice cleats and warm clothing and things like that, it's not that big a deal. Um, I think, again, part of the problem when people mock the South from the North is ignorance to the reality down here. You know, if you lived in a place where you generally didn't have a frost until after Thanksgiving and that you had maybe 25 days a year below freezing weather in a typical winter, then you wouldn't be too hip to be all, have all this gear either. So it's something you need to understand that it's like, you know, do you expect a person in Key West to have a snow shovel? Well, this ain't Key West, but it also ain't Philadelphia. We do have a snow shovel, by the way. When we had snow in Arlington, my snow shovel went around the whole cul-de-sac because no one there owned a snow shovel or a shovel that was suitable for shoveling snow. By the way, an aluminum coal shovel is probably the best snow shovel you can get when you're dealing with harder, icy, slushy crap like we have here. Um, and, you know, colder winter, winters probably do mean more pleasant falls and springs. That's, that's just likely to be the case. So it, it may not all be bad, but we do need to be a little bit better prepared for it. And uh, just so, you know, you don't feel like I'm an alarmist here in the opposite direction of global warming. I'm not saying we're headed for a little ice age. I'm just saying that the current trends of solar activity and weather and examining over the last five years what's really happened versus what people say has happened leads me to believe that we're headed for harsher winters. The Farmer's Almanac this year, um, which does pretty well at calling the, the, the macro, the totality of the season, has used words like painfully cold winter for the winter of 2013-2014. I think that's what we're in for at least this year. And as you look out at a, you know winter coming, get a little bit more prepared no matter where you are and start thinking about, you know, with honest assessment, the places that you're weak in this. We're not that weak, but the places where we were weak are significant. And they're not significant if it's business as usual and it's going to melt in a freaking week at most anyway. We can just sit here and not, I mean, it's not that big a deal. You know, we can get water to the animals. We can get food to the animals. It's, we have plenty. We can, we can sit here for six months, let alone six days. But if you end up in that scenario and you do have someone that goes down from a serious Ill, illness or injury and they need medical attention and you can't get them there, just staying put and drinking hot chocolate is not an option anymore. There's a lot of reasons that you might have to move or go somewhere or deal with something uh, because things are not just the norm. It's 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 not like you know, your personal individual disasters uh, are, you know, all well-behaved and nice and happen at times where everything else is okay. I mean, in fact, what I've seen, just as a matter of luck, if you want to call it that, is that the stuff that goes wrong in your life seems to go wrong at the worst possible time. I run a workshop, 
and I'm going to use heavy equipment, it rains. We're 100% on that right now, you know? And that's just like, you know, what they call that, um, what do they call that? Where, uh, Murphy's Law, right? You know, something can go wrong, it will. Um, here's an, a, a small example of this. Recently, my German Shepherd Max has injured a paw two different times, and we're not sure what he's doing. I think it might be the way that our coffee table in our living room is designed, and I'm going to try to make sure I keep him away from it and try to figure out a way to not get rid of the coffee table and not let the dog hurt himself. But the legs on that table come down, they're steel, and they roll, the feet roll at the bottom, and there's a hole in there, it's about the size of a dog's foot. And both times, he was running around fine, and he didn't go outside, and all of a sudden he couldn't put any weight on his foot. And it took him a couple days to, to bounce back both times. The pretty bad sprains is what it seems like. And the second time, it was his back left foot. The first time was his right front foot. So it's not a recurrent injury. It's a very weird thing. Guess when he happened to do this to himself? Right after the ice came. So now I've got a dog with three legs that can't put any weight on it. Vet's closed. Really hard to get him there even if I wanted to. And he's got to go outside to take a dump without being able to put weight on his back foot in the freaking ice. And I'm out there sanding an area for a dog to take a dump. Why? It's the only thing we could do. Now, fortunately, he basically... Um, was able to get out and pee the next day. And that dog peed for, God, it was like five minutes. He's such a good dog. He just won't go in the house. And uh, he came back in. He didn't poo. And uh, he didn't want to eat much. He's probably fasting on purpose. And uh, by the time he had to go, uh, you know, the next day, he was able to put a little bit of weight on the foot. And, and you know, we had to watch him because he could re-injure himself really, really easily. And that's not a major life-altering event. I love my dog and all, but, you know, my dog uh, having an injury is nowhere near on par with my wife having an injury. But it's just an example of how much less of a problem would it have been if the dog hurt his foot when it was all nice grass out there and he could hobble out and lay down in the grass and not risk hurting him. Much easier, but that's not when it happened. And man, Murphy will kick you in the nuts. I'm telling you, Murphy's Law is a real thing. I've seen it over and over and over again. The, the things that go wrong, go wrong in sequence. They build up on top of each other and they cascade. And, you know, changing a spare tire, not a big deal. Changing a spare tire when the lug nuts are frozen up, your hands are cold, and sleet and freezing rain is hitting you in the face. That's a big deal. It's a lot harder to do. You don't want to have to do it. Having a plug kit and an air compressor in your vehicle so that you can at least get the tire aired up, put a plug in the hole if the hole's leaking fast enough to warrant it, and get where you're going and deal with it later might save your life. Seriously, because what are you going to be doing? Sitting on the side of the road, changing a tire slow, not really doing it to your best of your ability while other people are sliding down the road? We, 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 we've got to take these things seriously because we have a tendency in the survival community to think about the big things and it's the little things that kill people every day. Heart attacks kill more people than apocalypses. Well, a heart attack that comes in the middle of an ice storm 
is different than a heart attack that comes on a 72-degree beautiful day. When ambulances can get there, when you can get there, what have you. And the more rural and further out you are, the further you may have to go on your own, even if they can respond to a degree. You know, a broken arm when all you have to do is jump in the car, go down to the ER, they set the bone, give you a pain shot, give you a prescription, and damn it, you're down for three months with it or whatever, is bad. It's not good. But in the middle of an ice storm where your family's depending on you, right? A sprained ankle that's going to have you hobbling for a week and then be pretty much okay isn't that big a deal, but it is in the middle of some other major event where people are depending on you. So we can't guarantee, we can't, you know, put ourselves in foam suits, you know, where we're like, uh, you know, crash test dummy stuff or something like, what do you, like, uh, airbags in our clothing or anything. It's not, you know, we can't be teacup adults. We got enough teacup kids as it is. But we do have to just think a little bit and be as safe as we can and minimize the potential for injury. Minimize the potential for accidents, especially in cold weather. And then understand that the cold affects everything you do from a productivity standpoint. Gloves might keep your hands warm, but there's a lot of little detail work you can't do with gloves on. So now you're taking the glove off and getting the nut started and putting the glove back on. The more you can minimize the need to do these things, at least for a get-by period, the better. Here's another thing. We, you know, we don't do this a lot in the South. A lot of people in the South don't really use their garages very much. You know, the garage is for all your stuff. It makes sense to have enough space in your garage to be able to at least get one of your vehicles in, probably your most mobile vehicle in cold weather. And even if it's kind of annoying when it's in there, just pull it in before that cold weather comes. So if this happens, and even though you got your tire chains and everything, and you have to rush somebody somewhere or go help somebody somewhere, you're not spending 25, 30 minutes getting ice off your windshield so you can see. And again, those of you that live up north are like, well, duh, okay. You know, I understand you live up. I used to live up north too. And I understand all of these things. But there's a reality when you live in a different climate. And... I want to just take you guys back to a time when it was colder, just for a minute here. The things that I remember. I remember in 1980, I was little. I was like kindergarten little, maybe first grade, something like that. And we were at the mall, and I lived in Jacksonville, Florida at the time. Jacksonville's like subtropics. People in Jacksonville today are growing citrus. They may not be doing it as much as they have been. And this is March. It's like the 29th or 30th. It's toward the, it's almost, March is almost over. We come out of the mall, and it's snowing. It snowed about a quarter inch in March in Jacksonville, Florida in 1980. You can look it up if you don't believe me. In I think it was 84 or 85, on Christmas Eve, this was the year I put the cat in the tree because I, I fell off my bike. I was in like grade school, and I had this new bike. And I came out, like, you, like kids do. You know, you come out at like 3 o'clock in the morning, see if Santa's been there. There's a bike. I jumped up on the bike to just sit on it. And I fell right in the tree, messed the tree up. We had a real tree, you know, uh, Douglas fir or something like that. And we had this cat, big fat cat that would sleep wherever you put him. I took his ass and I stuck him in the tree and he stayed there so that my dad, I, he didn't find out for years that I put this cat in the tree. Well, a little bit later that night, power went off and it snowed. 
can't find any record of it, but I remember it. We had snow on the ground Christmas morning. It was either 84 or 85. And it got so cold in the house, the old man woke everybody up, and we had all gotten, like, sweatsuit things for Christmas. He's like, here, open this, open this, open this. Give it to all three of us. We all open them. He's like, put it on and go back to sleep. We're like, oh, okay. But by morning, the windows were frozen shut. We had ice on the inside of the windows. This is 84 or 85. By 1986, we had moved back to Pennsylvania. We moved in the summer of 86. In the winter of 86, we got a blizzard in Pottsville and Minersville area of Pennsylvania. There was so much snow, we couldn't open the front door. And uh, we opened a window, and I went out the window, and I shoveled the path over to the door and unshoveled the door so we could shove the door open enough that my dad and my uncle could get out and help us shovel things. And when we tried to find the cars, we, we could, the top of the cars were covered in snow by the time it was over. What you could see of the cars was the antennas sticking out of the snow. That was 85, 86-ish. These are the winters I remember. I remember in Jacksonville, Florida, going to grade school, walking to the bus stop with my hands in my pockets, walking backwards because the wind was in your face, and it was so cold you'd rather walk backwards than walk into the wind with your face. And that is more like Pennsylvania than Florida. But that's what it was like in the 70s and 80s. Again, there were Time magazine covers talking about the new Ice Age, the big chill, things like that. And, and it, 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 it's, it's not made up. I know some of you think it is. It's really not made up. It really is what it was like. And it, it, again, it's not that long ago. And we need to think about, regardless of what you believe about climate change, if you believe the dyed-in-the-wool mainstream media, it's all going to warm and we're going to drown, if you believe that it's getting warmer and it's going to keep getting warmer, whether we did it or not, or if you believe that it's going to get colder, um, unless you just think everything will just stay the way that it is, we do need to be prepared as, as much as we can to deal with shifting changes, and climate's just one of many. And if you bet on the climate to just stay the same, regardless of what you think about anything man has or has not done, I think you're making a bad bet. The extremes in climate are not new. And they've happened recently, up and down, ebb and flow. And there's a lot more at play to the Earth's climate than what human beings do. A lot more. Like, the angle of the Earth's axis in relation to the sun shifting by a tenth of a degree. I mean, or a thousandth of a degree. Could it happen? I don't know. Has it happened? I don't know. My understanding is the Earth wobbles on its axis. It doesn't stay perfectly on that 23 degree angle or whatever it is. That it actually wobbles over time, over long cycles, 26,000 years or something like that. You know, that, that probably has a bigger effect than anybody's tailpipe. And it is very possible that five years from now, all the hype will have switched from, it's gone from global warming to, well, we can't really totally make a case for that anymore, so we'll call it climate change to global cooling. You very well could hear it. And what they'll say, they'll never admit they were wrong. They pushed too hard on this. 
They'll say, well, it was global warming. And it caused this shift to global cooling. And we still, something must be done. I don't care. I don't care what somebody believes about that. What I care about is dealing with whatever comes. And I think when we look at winter weather, I just think you're going to deal with more severe weather, and I think you should get prepared for it. Hopefully today's show has got you thinking in the right direction. With that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Revolution.